the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Good to talk. I welcome myself back, having been away for a few days. Thankfully, you've been busy in my absence. You recorded a fantastic podcast, I thought, in my humble view, with Shane O'Mara. As it started off, I was wondering, is this going to be incredibly complex? But actually, it was fascinating, really, really interesting. As you said, wrapping it up, that conversation could have gone on for days. So I, I definitely think we will have Shane back as often as we can because his contribution is incredibly interesting. What always puzzled me a little bit was how we could sort of marry neuroscience with economics. I think Shane bridges that gap really, really well. So a a lot of stuff there in terms of behavioral economics and so on. So well done. And there's a second podcast you did with Nathan Johns on the Rugby World Cup. Well done, and thanks for stepping up to the plate in my absence. Packed agenda today, as we always say, data out of Ireland. I just want to run through very quickly the latest inflation numbers, the exchequer returns for the end of August, and particularly one element of that, which was the weakness of corporation tax receipts. And we got planning permissions data for Ireland in for February, for the second quarter, we had house price data out of the UK during the week. And indeed, there's a lot of stories emanating from the UK 
that feeds into your agenda about the UK. As I say, house prices weak, cement buildings are crumbling around the population and the disastrous offshore wind auction. Lot going Jamie, on. point of order, Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Speaker. Please do. Um, I, I don't have an agenda when it comes to the UK. I simply have data. You have a theme. Well, there is a theme. That's different. Agenda suggests that I've got an axe to grind. I'm not sure that I take kindly to that. That's what some of our listeners suggest, Chris. Okay, carry I'm on an, with carry I'm on an, with your agenda, mate. I, I, I'm an impartial <laughs> observer here. Uh, on the exchange rate front, uh, we, we don't talk about exchange rates very much because generally there's not a lot going on. But uh, this week, the euro has just ended its eighth straight week of losses against the dollar and loss it has lost five percent against the dollar since the middle of july um, and there's two sides to that story well maybe there's more than two but there's two things that stand out one is the weakness of eurozone economic data which we'll talk about and on the other side of the coin we have the strength of the u.s economy relative to europe and hence the dollar is benefiting from that. So I think that warrants discussion. Oil prices are at their highest level in some time. The Chinese growth story continues to evolve. European equities are having a bad time at the moment. So there's just so much that we can get into. Let's see what we've time to do and we can pick up the rest next week. Um, I just want to start by talking about what's happening on the Irish inflation front um, over the past few days, we've got the latest inflation data for Ireland and the downward trend that has really been established since last October when inflation peaked at around 9.2%. Um, it fell to 5.8% in July, which is the lowest level we've seen in a while. It picked up again in August to 6.3%. So the downtrend has been arrested for the moment. And that indeed is something we're seeing in most jurisdictions at the moment and energy is having a significant contribution there. But just to take you through very quickly, uh, during the month of July, prices increased by 0.7%, and that gave us the year-on-year -year increase of 6.3%. The biggest contributors to that, uh, mortgage costs up 2.6% in the month, and the average cost of servicing a mortgage in Ireland in August is 51.3% higher than a year ago. Uh, that is a pretty dramatic increase in mortgage rates. Petrol prices up 4.1% during the month and diesel prices up 6.6%. And that's reflecting what's happening on global energy markets. So the, the inflation story is starting to become, you know, embedded in the system again, because the real source of hope was that energy prices would continue to fall but crude oil prices are now at their highest level since i think november of last year so that's feeding in and that's reflecting um global developments um i think it's worth mentioning something i mentioned in my last podcast with you which was about the increase in excise duties and the nine percent vash rate which came into force on the first of september both of those moves will increase inflation again in the month of September. So there's a lot to worry about on the inflation front. And I made the point in the context of that excise duty and VAT rate increase 
that the government would be turning around on October 10th in the budget, implementing a cost of living package. And indeed, I spoke at an event in Cork on Thursday uh, with Michael McGrath, the Minister of Finance, who was talking about the cost of living package that will be implemented in October. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, this is just upsetting, trying to upset some of those tax increases that were implemented. I know there's a distributional um, effect there and all of that, but still, I, I thought that move to increase the VAT and excise duties on the 1st September was stupid, and I stand by that. Yeah, when you, we've got two arms of policy working against each other, one boosting inflation, one introducing measures to counter the cost of living crisis. I agree with you. It doesn't make an awful lot of sense. We've got and I think you've got similar kinds of pressures in, in Ireland. We've got a big campaign going on here in the UK for mortgage interest tax relief to be reintroduced. And that's just nuts because the Bank of England, just like the ECB, has put interest rates up to hurt homeowners. Let's be absolutely honest and frank about this. It's, it's not the only channel through which monetary policy, through which interest rate policy works, but it is a big one. And the whole point of putting interest rates up is to get house prices down, to get mortgage holders feeling some pain if the other arm of government then decides to go against this you have to wonder about when will we ever get joined up thinking in terms of economic policy jim did we ever get it i suppose is one of the more fundamental questions sorry i interrupted you now there have been very few occasions chris in any jurisdiction where fiscal and monetary policy have have worked together in a constructive way uh, one recent event stands out i guess that was in the aftermath of COVID back in march 2020 when we saw significant monetary and fiscal expansion occurring simultaneously to try and stimulate a global economy that was in serious trouble. But generally, fiscal monetary policy tend to work against each other. And, and I, I totally agree with you. It's crazy introducing mortgage interest relief in an environment where the Bank of England is, is trying to weaken the housing market. Um, in, and in, succeeding, of course. And succeeding, of course, absolutely big time. And we'll talk about that in a second. The End August, exchequer returns here in Ireland attracted quite a bit of attention. Um, I was overseas, but I was picking it up. And the the, the bit that stood out, um, income tax and VAT still very strong, but the corporation tax take in August at 1.78 billion was 1 billion down on last year. And indeed, in August 22, a year ago, um, 2.785 billion was collected. So this has given rise to all sorts of concerns you know is this the beginning of the end for the corporation tax bonanza that we've been enjoying over the last couple of years um it certainly strengthens the arguments being put forward by the irish fiscal advisory council about the need for restraint on the expenditure front uh, because it's it's stupid number one uh, spending too much in an economy that's already growing quite strongly but secondly um you know, in an environment where there's a question mark over the sustainability of tax revenues, we don't want to be increasing expenditure on the back of a tax base that could be vulnerable. And people who believe those arguments um, will have been um, strengthened in their views by what happened to corporation tax in August. But can I just put a little bit of context on this, Chris? Please do. Um, in August this year, 1.78 billion taken in on in corporation tax. In August 22, 2.785 billion. In August 21, 1.043 billion. And in August 2020, 
417 million was collected. So the August 22 number against which the August 23 number is being compared, you know, was just grossly exaggerated. It, it really was an outlier. So perhaps we're now settling back into the, the, the normal sort of trend for corporation tax um, that would have been established before we saw that August 22 outlier outlying event. Um, having said that, just just because you know there, there's a strong year-on-year -year effect, if this trend were to gather momentum, you know, clearly it would weaken the corporation tax take. We'd be taken in less over the next year or two if this sort of trend continued. Uh, and that's why government needs to be really careful. And the other point, I guess, is Okay, if you accept that August 22 was a significant outlier, but are there things to be concerned about in the August 23 tax And there probably are, because number one, the chemical and pharmaceutical export performance out of Ireland this year has been weak. Okay, there was a bit of a rebound coincidentally in August, but up to August, it had been very, very weak. And the second thing, uh, the profitability of the tech sector. And, you know, we see the story with Apple in China at the moment. So I'm probably giving you a very two-handed answer to that question about what exactly happened in August. Well, I think it's inevitable that you give a two-handed answer, Jim, because I don't think anybody knows uh, about what how to interpret those August numbers. And more importantly, nobody knows how to forecast what they're going to be doing next month or this time next year. And we've got some rough parameters and we've got some models, but that's all that they are. And without going off on one about forecasting again, it's all very, very difficult. Cliff Taylor wrote, uh, I think, a fabulous piece in the Irish Times about the August Exchequer returns this week, asking all of the questions. And the reason why it's fabulous, he spent a thousand words very cleverly saying, I don't know. And nobody knows. And uh, dancing around that, uh, those, those words without actually saying them. And you, you could read that article and really be none the wiser other than to admire Cliff's writing abilities. Uh, the, the, the situation, as you say, is, is volatile from month to month. And we shouldn't really even interpret, let alone over-interpret, one month's numbers under any circumstances, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. They, they one month's numbers do not really tell you anything. You're trying to analyze noise, not signal. That said, you might remember, Jim, towards the back end of last year, coming into this year, we noted two things. One you've already mentioned, which is the slowdown in exports of the, particularly the pharmaceutical sector in Ireland. That's part of a global slowdown in exports generally, about which we might mention a few things in a minute. But the uh, pharmaceutical sector in Ireland and elsewhere, but particularly in Ireland, is being affected by the coming and going of COVID, of course. During COVID uh, and in the immediate aftermath of high global vaccination rates, Ireland exported an awful lot of stuff to do with COVID vaccinations. That has all slowed down enormously, and as has the profits of these companies. They are slowing down. They are not going off to the moon in the way that they did in the past. That's for pharmaceutical, and the same thing applies for slightly different reasons to some chemical companies, an important part of the Irish exporting and tax sector. But you've also got all the familiar tech names. And we know what's been happening to tech. There's been a slowdown for certain companies like uh, Meta, Facebook, in terms of their advertising revenues. There's been questions asked about the 
uh, revenue model for uh, advertising company, advertising based businesses like Twitter, now renamed as X. I'm not sure Twitter is ever going to make money ever again. Uh, so the story in the round for the tax base for Irish corporation tax receipts. So if you think about those receipts as a tax rate, a number like 12.5% multiplied by a tax base, the profits declared in Ireland, that profits base declared in Ireland has been growing enormously because the underlying profits of these companies have in recent years been growing enormously. And of course, because of international tax rule changes, an awful lot of the profits were relocated to Ireland. So that and that's another story, another threat, if you like, as well. But because that one big part of the story, which is the profitability of all of these companies, tech, pharma, chemicals, uh, at best, they're growing now at a more sustainable rate, at worst, they're falling. That driver of increased corporation tax revenues, we said this some months ago is over. And therefore, the stratospheric growth rates of Irish corporation tax receipts, other things being equal, is also over. And I think that we um, still stand by that. I would not suggest for a second that one month's numbers vindicates that, but it's certainly consistent with it, isn't it? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, it is, it is, and it, and it certainly plays into the um, narrative about the need for caution on the expenditure front because uh, I just repeat myself again here, but it's worth repeating, spending money by government in an environment where the tax base is vulnerable is a mistake and would be a mistake. It's a mistake we made back into in the run-up 2007-2008 on the back of tax revenue buoyancy from the construction sector. So we cannot go there again. So I can assure you, Chris, this is something we will need to monitor very closely over the coming months. And let's wait for the September, October, and particularly November corporation tax returns to really come to a definitive conclusion on this. Agreed, John, agreed. But can I ask you a subsidiary additional question? Supplementary questions, they say in Parliament. You've just spoken like an economist, like a very good professional economist that you are. You've spoken kind of sort of like IFAC has spoken, which is that we need to be cautious. We don't know how permanent these revenues are, if they're permanent at all. And if you start treating them as permanent revenues by way of spending them via permanent spending commitments, we're going to get ourselves in a terrible tangle again. That's the good economist, number crunching person talking. And it recognizes the deep economic nature of fiscal policy, of budgetary policy. But there's another dimension to fiscal policy that IFAC, I won't say you, Jim, because I know you don't do this, but IFAC and budgetary watchdogs the world over, like we have the Office for Budget Responsibility here in the UK. They're not asked to do this, which is why they don't do it. But I think they almost willfully ignore the other aspect, which I think is 50% of budgetary policy. 50% is the hard economics, the numbers that you're describing. 
50% is politics though, Jim. Budgets are deeply political processes and you have to always place the budget in an economic numbers-based context, but also in the political context. We've got an election in Ireland coming within the next 12, 15 months. Do you really think politically the right thing to do is to display ultra-caution right now? I am back teaching my MBA class in UCD uh, on on Friday morning, which is this morning from when this podcast has been recorded, introducing students to the principles of economics. I continually stress the importance of political developments on economic outcomes. The primacy of politics over economics, because at the end of the day, what may make perfect economic sense, if it doesn't make political sense, it will rarely see the light of day. And of course, with an election due to be held before February 2025, the stakes are really high at the moment. And as a consequence of that, uh, the government is committed to breaking its own public expenditure rules in this budget. And um, it will argue it's doing so because of exceptional circumstances such as the cost of living crisis. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about politics. It's, it's a real dilemma, I think, for a government at the moment that is struggling in the opinion polls against Sinn Féin particularly. Does it pursue a cautious approach here and hand over rich coffers to Sinn Féin in the next government to turn around and probably waste a lot of it? So how do we square this circle of devising a budget that has both economic rationale and content and makes political sense? I think the answer is actually blindingly obvious. You don't do the permanent spending thing. You don't simply say we're going to increase all welfare rates, all government expenditure programs forever into the future. All of these revenues that we think are vulnerable, we, we've got a choice. We can save them into the uh, reserve funds, which they are doing. God bless them. It's a bit late, but at least we're doing it. But you've also got the choice of doing one-off giveaways. Now, carefully crafted, properly advertised, you could make these things giveaways, but not in a permanent way, so that you, you make it absolutely abundantly clear that the only way these, these one-off things ever continue again is, A, if the need arises, for example, the cost of living crisis is still with us this time next year, and B, if the money is there. And if you, if you make it absolutely plain that what you're doing is a one-off and not a permanent spending commitment, What's the problem? Exactly. What's the problem? Yeah. That, that... Oh, you, I, I thought you were going to disagree with me. Oh, no, not, not necessarily. It, it obviously depends what they do with it. Mm. You know, and, and that, that is the real dilemma for government ahead of this budget on October 10th. It's, it's, it's one of the trickiest ones that they probably, any government has had to deliver. Oh, I think this is really, really the, the politics of this one really dominate the economics. They do economic. indeed, yeah. I mean, um, because not just because of the proximity of the election, because it's the proximity of a potential Sinn Féin government yeah. or coalition partner with Sinn Féin. And that isn't guaranteed. Um, we're not, we're not going to deal with that today. We'll, we'll go back there at another time. Um, it's interesting how the number of people who come on to us via comments and emails and texts and all the rest of it saying, would you ever stop doing the Shinner bashing? And the answer, chaps, and everybody else uh, who's out there, no, we're not going to stop, but we're just not going to do it today. But the chances, as you say, of handing over this pot of gold to Sinn Féin, I think makes this uniquely political in, in terms of extent. Because we talk about the possibility that these tax revenues are going to be temporary, 
But we never talk about these tax revenues that might be permanent. They might actually last for years. They might actually go up when the tax rate goes up to 15%, for example. Yeah. You never know. These things can happen. So I think that this is a deeply political budget and it is inevitable and probably politically correct for these people to think about giveaways, but do it in a one-off way, not a permanent way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something we'll be covering a lot over the next few weeks. Uh, no doubt about that ahead of the budget. Um, the other piece of data I just wanted to briefly mention and mark rather than go into any deep analysis, planning permissions down 23% in the second quarter on the equivalent quarter last year. And, and that sort of decline in an environment where we obviously have a serious housing shortage and crisis um, has to be a cause for concern. However, um, I think it's worth cautioning that in the first half of the year, planning permissions are up 3% and the CSO goes to great pains to point out that you cannot jump to any conclusions based on one quarter's growth because, you know, from quarter to quarter, there are exceptionally large developments that get planning permission and they distort the overall trend. But listen, it's another one to watch and I think we will. Chris, moving across the Irish Sea to where you are, uh, lots of stories in the UK as usual. The Bank of England's monetary policy tightening working dramatically really. Um, the Halifax House Price Index down 4.6% in August. It was the fifth consecutive month of decline. It was the largest decline since 2009. The Southeast had the sharpest decline of 5%. So that is certainly a story of a housing market that is under deep pressure. At the same time, we have all of these horror stories about crumbling buildings, schools, hospitals, and so on. Um, we hear discussion around whether these buildings may fall in on top of the inhabitants or not, and what you do in that eventuality. Mad stuff. And the final piece is the offshore wind energy auction, which has failed spectacularly. So, Chris, give me your... Well, how long have you got, Jim? I mean, you've, I you've heard me talk about these sorts of issues a lot for a long time. I don't feel particularly vindicated. I just feel sad, actually. Uh, Rishi Sunak must have felt very sad when he returned from his summer parliamentary break at the beginning of this week, because as soon as they came back to Westminster, all of this stuff landed on their desks. And the schools thing, you couldn't make it up. They've been uh, This problem has been around for years. It's been identified for years, and nobody's done anything about it. It's a victim of cost-cutting. It's, it's one particular example out of many that exemplifies the UK economic problem is that for years it hasn't invested in itself. A company does two types of capital expenditure investment. Stock market analysts, investors in companies, if you own shares, you should be familiar with this kind of jargon. There's maintenance capex and growth capex. Maintenance capex just means that you're investing in your company to make sure that it stands still indeed that it still stands up so you maintain the buildings you replace the computers you paint the exterior you do everything that a householder or a car owner does for keeping their house or their car still viable and then you can invest for growth i've been moaning about investing for growth uh, in the uk for years now it's beginning to look like we haven't even been doing maintenance capex we haven't even been maintaining the roof while the sun has been shining and that's just as a result of austerity, of cutbacks, of penny pinching, 
and having priorities elsewhere, which is which is just nuts, of course. I mean, maintenance capex, maintenance capital expenditure is not sexy. It doesn't necessarily get you any votes, but we do expect our schools to stay standing. Another great example that's related to this, which tells the same story, is the Houses of Parliament itself, the Palace of Westminster, as it's called. It's falling down and has been for years. There have been surveys done of the Palace of Westminster. That's that big goth, neo-Gothic building that you see standing there with Big Ben and all those other pictures that you have of that great gargoyle of a building standing next to the Thames. It's falling down. It's I rat. spoke there, Chris. What? I spoke there. It's rat and mice infested, Jim. It's not just you that speak there. There's a few rodents sp- speaking as well. It's, it's written with asbestos. It's falling. And people walking around the corridors regularly see rats running around. They regularly have bits of the building falling uh, very near them. And it, it's, they've known for years that they have to rebuild it um, in some dramatic shape or form. And there have been various proposals for Parliament moving out, moving out to the regions for a while, where they do some very uh, extensive repairs quickly, or that they can repair it more slowly and more expensively while, while Parliament still sits in the middle of a big building site. Either way, it's going to cost billions. And it has to be done, because otherwise one day this building is going to fall down. The surveyors, the engineers have told them this. And do you know what, Jim? They never, ever take a decision about what to do, to whether to do it this way or that way. They've got options. They're presented with them every year, and they always defer taking a decision because they're frightened of spending the money. And that's just an example of what I'm talking about here. More generally, one of the things that was interesting to me only today was that a regular listener to the pod, a guy called Barry, sent me an article written in one of the online, burgeoning online media outlets called Unheard, which likens the UK today, believe it or not, to South Africa and the way South Africa has gone, particularly since since the ANC have been in power and the way in which things gradually fall apart. Obviously, some comparisons are odious, to coin an expression, um, and we're not suggesting for a second that the UK is as poor or will become as poor as South Africa, but some of the policy parallels are there. And one of them that is really quite scary, actually, is just the way in which in both countries, the electorates, for similar and different reasons, are just giving up on politics, giving up on the idea that their politicians can ever make a difference to their lives, which just leaves a vacuum for charlatan scoundrels and populists to, to rush in. So I hope, that's the, I hope those comparisons are more apparent than real. But as you say, that, that every day there is a story about something going wrong with the UK, something going wrong with the UK's economy, something, some, you know, just, just, it's just disappointing, it's just sad. Now, one of the things that happened while you were away, Jim, is that they revised history. And um, we got a bit of leprechaun economics going on in the UK. And last year, they, they've added huge amounts to GDP so that uh, the slowdown of last year is no longer in the, in the data. So everybody, particularly the Tories, are saying that all people like me are declinists. And you look at the data, it's just all been revised up. Um, it's not as big a deal as people are making it out to be. It's more a story about how unreliable GDP accounting is these days on both sides of the Irish Sea. Um, people still, people here still have the the real disposable income figures, which are unchanged now for decades, are still the real numbers. As somebody once famously said to a politician who was making a speech about improved GDP growth, "Well, that's your GDP. It's not my GDP." <laughs> I'm smiling, Chris, because. Uh... While I was away, somebody sent me a message on Twitter 
after those upper revisions to growth saying I can't wait for your next podcast with Chris to discuss the UK economy and I was smiling to myself but I I mean I, I totally take your point uh, you actually have been going on for the last couple of years about why nothing works in the UK and uh, you know you are being vindicated on a daily basis and the story of the crumbling buildings uh just it's 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 quite extraordinary stuff and we and, just can't um, get anything right no. um we we used to be a world leader in offshore and onshore wind yeah power uh electricity from wind we used to be really really good at it and as you said in your intro there was an auction result today where nobody not one private sector company bid to build the latest the next generation of wind farms which we of course for all sorts of reasons from for environmental reasons and for cost reasons, cost of electricity reasons, we need more wind power um, offshore and onshore. Um, so one small piece of kudos to Rishi Sunak this week, who um, rescinded the ban. Believe it or not, we have a ban on onshore wind in the UK. That's been lifted. And that's an example, I think, of some pragmatism that's very welcome. So I, I think in order to be balanced about this, we need to, to recognize good policy when we see it. But then they go and cock up the auction and they basically try try to get the the wind companies to produce electricity at ridiculously low prices. If they just priced the auction more reasonably, the companies would have come in, they would have built these wind farms and we would have got cheaper electricity than we've got today. Um, they just completely messed up the pricing of it and it, it just smacks of incompetence and amateurism, shamateurism, if you, if you, if you like, uh, on the part of whoever organized this auction. Because in the past, we've been very good at organizing auctions and getting good money for the taxpayer and getting good results for the consumer. Um, we, we, used to, we used to be world leaders in auctioning the um, telecommunications spectrum for uh, what was originally 1G, 2G, 2.5G, 3G. All those were auctions that were des cleverly designed to help both sides of the fence in terms of both producers and cons consumers. And they did it very well. So I don't know what's gone wrong here, but it is just another example of something going badly wrong with catastrophic consequences for the environment and for the price that I'm going to be paying for my electricity in, year, in the years ahead. The, do you know, Jim, that the advances for wind power in recent times have just been extraordinary. And the alternative space generally is extraordinary we know all you know the, uh, our friend noah smith's out there in san francisco thinks that the future is actually solar and batteries but there are wind turbines now that with one turn of its rotor arm one circle described by its by its rotors will power a house for two days jesus extraordinary so imagine what a farm of continuously turning turbines would, would do for electricity generation so yeah. it's just nuts um the technology has has gone on leaps and bounds one of the things that we have done is written several reports about alternative energy and i remember writing one about this time last year actually in which i said one of the problems that countries who are seeking to expand their offshore or onshore wind capacity is that the costs which have been coming down dramatically in recent years of building a wind farm whether on or offshore are actually likely to go up not just because of the generalized inflation that we've had around the world for everything, but because now everybody, particularly the Chinese and the Americans, are now massively expanding their wind capacity, uh, wind generation capacity, which means supply chain pressures on costs. And so what's actually happening, I think, to countries like the UK is that they haven't realized just how far behind in the queue 
for these uh, bits of kit necessary to do this they are and how much it all costs now so it's it's a real shame we used to be good at this stuff we're just not good at it anymore chris i think we'll wrap it there um because the other topics i want to discuss today uh we wouldn't do them justice but i think early next week we will revisit this european versus us us growth story differential the impact it's having on exchange rates uh because um and of course what it means for interest rates and so, bond yields and stock markets indeed so listen have a great weekend i look forward to talk to you next week um i hope you enjoy any rugby that you happen to watch um i was invited to one uh rugby function tonight um i politely declined because um I couldn't think of anything worse than being stuck in a pub watching a couple of hours of rugby. So, Chris, Jim, have a good one, lad. It's going to be a belter of an opening game. It really is. Listen to Nathan speaking about it on our most recent podcast. It's France versus New Zealand, for God's sake. It's the opening game of the World Cup. That you know, The favourites in the bookies uh, up against the second favourites in the bookies. And it's just an amazing uh, story of sequencing and scheduling to get that this is the opening game. Chris, um, the Irish media have convinced us Ireland are going to win it. That's what I pick up. Well, the bookies think that uh, Ireland are at five to one, and uh, I think they've got New Zealand at three to one. So that's the gap. Chris, have a good one. Thank Cheers, you. Mate. Bye. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. On podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated.